When we talk about drugs or see the myriad pharmaceutical ads shown to us almost every day, we often hear about the unique side effects of each drug. The fact is that they're not just side effects. They're real effects with real consequences. This is true not just for the complex, highly marketed drugs, but for our most basic antibiotics. In fact, we come to think of this class of drugs as almost free from consequence. The truth is they may have bigger and more far-reaching consequences than the drugs that can cause individual problems. For these drugs, the consequences may be to our whole species and to the ancient human microbiome that makes up a large part of who we are as individuals and as humans. We may be seeing these consequences every day in the increase in childhood asthma, autism, obesity, certain types of cancers, and so many other areas. We're going to talk about this today with my guest, Dr. Martin Blazer. He studied the role of bacteria in human disease for more than 30 years. He is the director of the Human Microbiome Program at NYU and served as chair of medicine at NYU and as president of the Infectious Disease Society of America. It is my pleasure to welcome Dr. Martin Blazer here to talk about missing microbes, how the universe of antibiotics is fueling our modern plagues. Dr. Blazer, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. It's great to have you here. I want to talk about this larger framework in which we need to look at this whole subject of antibiotics. So many drugs that we hear about and hear about the side effects, both in, in terms of what the media reports and also in the advertising for these drugs, affect individuals in terms of those side effects. Arguably, our excessive use of antibiotics over so many years has created a potential side effect that is far larger than just one individual, but may be, in fact, impacting our whole species. Yeah, so I thank you. That's a great introduction. I, I want to begin at the beginning and to remind your listeners that most of the cells in the human body are microbes. They're bacteria. 70 to 90% of all of our cells are bacteria. And the bacteria we have are not accidental. We inherited them from our mom and she from her mom, and it goes back since the beginning of time. There's an ancestral microbiota, and these, these bacteria are there to help us. They help us. They train our immune system. They help us digest food. They help us make vitamins, and they protect us against invaders. And all of this is good. We acquire them early in life. Our human development is kind of choreographed by the, by the microbes. And my concern is that we have been changing these as a result of modern medical practices, especially antibiotics, which are the most widely used drugs around. And you talk about the fact that it starts early. In fact, as you talk about it, it starts literally as we pass through the birth canal. Yeah, right. Again, we go back to biology. Humans are mammals, and mammals give birth to their young as live. They, our exposure to bacteria begins when we pass through the birth canal. We're coated with bacteria. We're coated with our mother's bacteria, and these are these are our starting bacteria. And it, but the problem is that today, a third of all the births in the United States are by cesarean section. And in some parts of the world, it's 50% of all births. This has shot up dramatically in the last 30 or 40 years. And these babies are not acquiring their microbes in the normal way. It's clear that they're different. And there's more and more evidence that there are consequences. Babies born by C-section are more likely to develop juvenile diabetes, more likely to develop celiac disease, more likely to become obese. So these practices, no one 
even considered that that might be possible, but the studies are showing that, and now we have a theoretical basis to understand why. The other thing is that that many moms are getting antibiotics during pregnancy and even at the moment of, of giving birth. So we're changing those early life microbes and, and nobody's been keeping track of it. I want to go back a little bit and give our listeners a bit of an explanation as to what this microbiome is. Yeah, so the microbiome is all the microorganisms that live in and on the human body. Uh, these are the microbes uh, that uh, we acquire early in life, and many of them stay with us for our, our entire life. They're bacteria, fungi, viruses, protozoa, e- even tiny little mites. They're, they're, they're living in our body every day. While we're happily going to work or going to school, they're, they're doing their job. Talk a little bit about how the evidence is showing that, in fact, the lack of bacteria, the lack of this as a result of the the widespread prescription of antibiotics is leading to some of these things like autism, obesity. Talk about that connection. Well, first, I, I, I will do that, but first I just want to give your, your listeners a sense of the scale of this problem, and I, dis, this, I discuss this in Missing Microbes. Uh, in 2010, the CDC uh, did a survey uh, of antibiotic use in the United States, and there were more than 250 million courses of antibiotics in the U.S. That's five courses for every six people, and this has been going on for year after year. The average child in the U.S. is getting four courses of antibiotics by the time they're three. They're getting 10 courses by the time they're 10, 17 courses by the time they're 20. So the antibiotic use is enormous. And and potentially this has consequences. I, I first got the idea when I considered that farmers have been feeding antibiotics to their livestock for the last 70 years so that they can make their animals fatter. This is what's called growth promoters. The farmers found that when they give low doses of antibiotics, the animals use their food more efficiently, they gain weight, and that means that, that they can produce meat more cheaply. The reason they use it is because it works. And I thought if it works in, in a wide variety of farm animals, maybe the same thing is happening to our children, that the antibiotics that they're receiving early in life are making them fat. And we've done experiments in mice where we give antibiotics to mice, and we're making the mice fat, too. What are we seeing in terms of the different impact of the overuse of antibiotics in kids, which is what you've been talking about, versus the overuse in adults? And are the consequences similar? Uh, I don't think the consequences are similar because... uh, Kids are developing. They they have to they have to develop their metabolism. They have to develop their immune system. Their brains have to develop. So it's a very critical time of life. That's the time of life when the microbiome is just establishing itself. And so we're we're perturbing it at that very moment. And I would predict that would be the time when we have the greatest consequences. In adults, our microbiome is already established. Every person has their own kind of unique signature, and they're may be consequences to antibiotic use later in life, but my big focus is on our kids and and the kids yet to be born, our future children and grandchildren. These are the ones who we we have to start with protection and prevention 
uh, and then we can work on cure as well. What are we losing in terms of some of these ancestral microbes that literally have been wiped out historically? Well, there's a bacteria that I've been studying for almost 30 years called Helicobacter pylori. It's a long name, so we call it HP for short. This is a bacteria that lives in the human stomach. And it was first discovered in 1979 uh, uh, by scientists in Australia who linked this bacteria to ulcers. And in fact, they found that if you get rid of this bacteria, uh, ulcer disease uh, is cured. And in fact, it was such a great discovery, they won the Nobel Prize for this. But we now know that this bacteria has been disappearing over the course of the 20th century. Uh, Early in the 20th century, almost everybody had the organism. By 1995, fewer than 6% of U.S. kids had it. And the same is true in Germany and Scandinavia. Over the course of the century, this bacteria has largely been disappearing from the human stomach. That's good news. There's less ulcer disease. There's less stomach cancer, but there's been a rise in diseases of the esophagus, reflux esophagitis, or what's called GERD, and there's a cancer that that leads to. These have been rising dramatically, and also asthma has been rising, and and we have shown a link between GERD and asthma and these bacteria, and now there have been many studies showing that this organism, Helicobacter pylori, is protecting our esophagus and is protecting our lungs. And the loss of the organism is fueling the rise in these diseases. Have we seen the results from the reversing of this, that by adding in the bacteria, it's a way to treat some of these other conditions? Yeah, I I believe that that's where the future is going to take us, that we're going to add back those disappeared organisms. But we're not there yet. We, We don't, we don't, in, in the case of Helicobacter, we know that organism, but in many other cases, we don't know exactly which organism we have to add back. And also, the timing of the adding back is important because there's probably a critical window. If you add it back during that window, it will help. If you add it back too late, it may not help. How does our further understanding of the human genome and what we see in that impact the kind of things that you're talking about with respect to to the microbes? Yeah, that's a wonderful question. Um, It turns out that the human genome has 23,000 genes. We humans have 23,000 unique genes. Our microbiome collectively has 2 million unique genes. So each of us, if you just did a census of all the unique genes in the human body, 99% of them are microbial. Now, obviously, the human genes and the microbial genes are talking to each other in, through the proteins that they make. So there's, there's an active communication. We focused on the 1%, but actually the 99% is out there, and we have to study that also. And that's a very active area of research to understand how our microbial genes are talking to ourselves and 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 causing and affecting our metabolism, our immunity, and our behavior. As we look around the world at other cultures that are not as quick to prescribe antibiotics as we are, what are we seeing there in terms of both the positive and the negative? Well, antibiotics are everywhere. Wherever our civilization has spread, we've brought antibiotics to it, and we consider it a great benefit. And people who are ill all over the world, they want antibiotics because antibiotics are life-saving. 
there are severe illnesses that that must be treated with antibiotics. And I am not against antibiotics in any way. We just have to use them much more judiciously. We have to use them for people who are severely ill and for people who have mild illnesses, we don't have to use them. But all over the world, obesity is increasing. It's increasing, especially in developed countries, but it's developing all over the world. And again, my hypothesis is that antibiotic use, which is changing the early life microbiome, is what's fueling this. And in terms of that obesity, where it has an impact, for example, is in the way we metabolize food, the way we make vitamins, etc. Yeah. So we and others are working carefully to understand exactly how does the antibiotic altered bacteria, how does that altered census, that altered composition of organisms, how is it talking differently to our cells than the normal one? And we're, we're finding different kinds of messengers that the bacteria are sending out and that our cells are receiving. What do we learn from looking at these antibiotic-resistant bacteria that have come along, and what is that telling us about the framework of what you're talking about? Yeah, well, what, what I haven't, we, we've mostly focused on metabolism, but what I haven't discussed is the idea that, that the, the, the good bacteria of our body are actually one of our walls of protection against bad bacteria, against invaders. And as we're degrading our good bacteria, we become more susceptible to invaders. This has been shown in experiments in mice. It's also been shown in natural epidemics in people, that people who previously took antibiotics were more susceptible to the epidemic, for example, an epidemic of salmonella infections. So that's, we, this is, this is an area that we really have to be careful about, and that's chapter 15 of my book is called Antibiotic Winter. It's a very bleak scenario about our susceptibility to epidemics that is worsened because of the degradation of our internal ecosystem, our internal balance of good guys uh, weakening us against the, uh, the invaders. And it is specifically related, and we've touched on some of them, to these autoimmune diseases, things like allergies and celiac disease, which you mentioned before. It has a real profound effect on the autoimmune diseases. Yes. Again, we know that the early life bacteria are instructing our immune system. They're helping our immune system develop. So you can immediately see that if, if the bacteria are different, then the instructions to the immune system on how to develop, on how to recognize what's self and what is non-self, uh, will be different. And there's more and more evidence that the roots of some of these autoimmune problems are beginning early in childhood. What do you hear from the medical community when you put this out there in terms of the doctors that are so quick to prescribe these antibiotics, particularly to kids, for everything from, you know, a sore throat to small sore throat to an ear infection? Well, I'm not the first person to say that there's been an overuse of antibiotics. It has been long recognized, and the leading authorities in pediatrics and family practice, they all recognize that too. But now I'm showing new evidence that there are costs associated with antibiotic use, biological costs, that we were not anticipating before. And this is making it more and more important that we control antibiotic use, that we're much more judicious. And the doctors I'm talking to are responding very well because, in fact, now that it's put out there, it's quite obvious. 
So we have to have doctors examine patients more carefully and spend more time with the patients to say, in this child with a mild illness, they don't need an antibiotic, or maybe they do, rather than every child getting an antibiotic. With respect to the broader impact that this has had on society in terms of, of the increased rates of asthma, the increased rates of, of so many of these diseases we've been talking about, how difficult is it going to be, even if we prescribe less antibiotics to kids, how difficult is it going to be to begin to turn this around? And, or is it even possible? Well, again, the place to start is to decrease the overuse of antibiotics in cesarean sections and hand sanitizer and all the antibacterial things that we're doing. That's the place to start. But ultimately, I think we're going to have to restore some of those organisms that have disappeared. I, I, 15 years ago, I wrote a paper in which I suggested that the doctors of the future would be giving Helicobacter pylori back to kids. And actually, I believe that even more today. I think there are going to be a, a group of different organisms that we're just going to be giving all healthy kids to restore the ones that they lost so that they can grow up in a healthier manner. How good are we within a, a cost curve that makes sense at measuring this at this point? Uh, yeah, you, you know, you ask another great question. The question is the cost curve. And so I, I think that we haven't been costing this out very well at all. Antibiotics right now are relatively cheap. But if, they, if they're doing lifelong damage, if they're increasing the risk of diabetes and obesity, then their long-term cost is enormous. And so if the data continue to show this, we're going to have to develop new models so that we can develop, instead of broad-spectrum antibiotics, narrow-spectrum antibiotics so that they will have much less collateral damage. That's going to cost money. We're going to need new, re new diagnostic tests to say which child has a viral infection and who has a bacterial infection. And if it's a bacterial infection, which bacteria is it? And then we'll be able to pull out that narrow-spectrum antibiotic that works just like a laser against the one organism causing the disease and is not having collateral damage. That's, that's where I think we're going. That's going to take us 10, 20 years to get there, but I think that's going to be the medicine of the future. Dr. Martin Blazer, the book is Missing Microbes, How the Overuse of Antibiotics is Fueling Our Modern Plagues. Doctor, I thank you so much for spending time with us today. Thanks for your great questions. Thank you. We'll take a break. I'll be right back.